If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to read chapter 29, verse 11. Many of you already know that scripture, but I think it's so wonderful that you're here today. This is a message that is absolutely in season. It's a message on the journey. Life is a journey. It is not a parking lot. Some people want a goal and not enjoy the process. But in the journey called life, it's one thing to have a goal and to have a dream. You need that, but you have to have God's dream and then let God's dream be birthed in you and through you. But in the dream that God gives you for a family, for a relationships, for a life, you've got to enjoy the process. It's so important because men most often want the goal and they don't like the process. But I want you to know in the process, you can find joy. In the pain, you can find the promise. God says in this issue of relationships that he has plans for you. He says, for I know the thoughts I have for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of good and not evil. Plans to prosper you, the King James Version says, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, that's a relationship, not a religion. That's an encounter of a relationship with the Father, the creator of the universe that wants to give you great relationship with him, with others, and in your marriage and in your life day to day. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that there's absolutely hope in our future. Your word declares that. So Lord, we're thankful today that every relationship in our lives can be better because we have hope in you. You have plans for our life. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're good looking and go ahead and sit down. Speaking faith, some of you, faith, faith, Jerry, you're good looking. Anyway, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the journey of a relationship, because I think all of us, when we think of the word relationships, we're thinking one dimensional. We're thinking of a spouse, a marriage, but I think every relationship can be better. All of us are in a relationship a relationship with God our Father through His Son Jesus. That's the vertical call. We have relationships that are horizontal. That's with other people, our brothers, our sisters, our family, our church members. That's, that's a, another form of relationships. Then we have the relationships with our spouse, a husband, a wife, uh, and issues that we have. All relationships can be better. So I want to talk to you about that blueprint of these relationships because I think all of them can be improved. All of them. You know, people say, well, men, we can read men like a book. I say more like a pamphlet. So understand, men don't always have the answer, nor do women have the answer always, but we need each other to bring forth the solution because relationships are so in. It reminds me of the, the widow who had been married four times and she's crying at the urn on the, on, the, on the mantle and the urn was there of her fourth husband and she was sobbing and crying the loss of her fourth husband. A woman hearing the widow cry says, she's got husbands to burn and I can't find one. I just read a statistic that psychologists have now figured out. This is a true statistic. This is a true statement. Psychologists state that Boys uh, are, are, of course, you know, they're, they want to have relationships, they want to get married, but girls tend to marry boys that are just like their fathers. Psychologists have now figured this out, that girls tend to marry boys that are just like their father. And I thought about that as I read that article. I said, that's why women cry at weddings, because some of you get that on the drive home. They're crying because girls tend to marry 
people like their fathers. But I want you to know all relationships can be better. Let's talk about the relationship when it comes to marriage, because this message is for people who are married, people who want to be married, and people who are sorry that they're married. This is for everybody. So let's think about this this morning, because when we're talking about the importance of relationships when it comes to marriage, we've got to set some ground rules. First of all, and I say this with great respect and, and great care, but first of all, when you're going to get married, for God's best to be accomplished in your life, you've got to marry somebody of the opposite sex. That means a man should marry a woman and a woman should marry a man. That's the best life for you. That's how God has ordained it. Even though our society has differed on it, some of you aren't clapping, but it's the truth because God ordained it for a husband to marry a wife and a wife to, to marry a husband. The scriptures told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. What's important about that? In relationships, it's important to be a person that reproduces themselves. That's why the book of John says producing fruit. That's reproducing fruit, fruit that remains, fruit that's ongoing, not recruiting, but reproducing themselves. What happens in relationships so often, we want to we wanna recruit our people. We want to recruit this person or that person. And God says, no, reproduce fruit, fruit that remains, fruit that's ongoing, fruit that bears in due season. And it's important that you lay that groundwork because the best life for a person when they get married is to marry somebody of the opposite sex so they can have God's divine promise and the covenant of God, the blessing of the Lord on them. And then you've got to marry a person that's committed to Christ. They, they have to have a commitment to the Lord. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You say, well, I'm a missionary dater. Don't be a missionary dater. Don't flirt to convert. That's not how it should go down. You shouldn't be a person that's hooking up with an unbeliever. Because if you realize that the, five, the Bible says fellowship between light and darkness cannot coexist, that means as a children of the light, you've got to marry somebody of likeness. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were largely ingrained in agriculture. And God gave this law through Moses. We call it the law of Moses, but really it was the law of God given to Moses. And in this law, it talked about not hooking up animals that were not yoked properly and equal. He talked about not hooking an ox up with the donkey. The reason is the ox was clean considered in the Old Testament because it had a split hoof and it chewed its could. But the donkey did not have a split hoof and it was considered unclean. In the King James Version, you know the name for the donkey. It's called the, you know what? And in that, no pun intended, but it's definitely there, the donkey was unclean. That happens in life. People start hooking up with people that are not equally yoked. Business relationships, marriage relationships, friendships at work, friendships on social media, and they're unequally yoked. So young lady, if you're dating a young man who's not a believer, can you tell him goodbye today? Send him a card, send him a letter, send him a text message, Send him an Instagram. Put a filter on it. It's all good. Put your little cute face and say, bye-bye. You say, well, I could never do that. Then you're forfeiting your destiny and God's best for you. You're supposed to be with people in a relationship and marriage that have the same values. If a man cannot keep a commitment with God, what makes you think he'll keep a commitment with you? He will not do that. He cannot do that. 
So it's important to know. And then if you're going to marry a man, ladies, can I just tell you, this is just personal here. You got to marry a man who has a proven work ethic. He's a provider. That means he's got a job or he's really looking for a job. And he's not a guy that you're having to take care of because if you're taking care of him in dating, guess what? He's going to be even more lazier when you marry him. You say, I've never heard of such thing. Now you have. It's so important to realize that it's the Bible says he who does not provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever. That means you got to get a job. You got to provide for your family and you got to be married to somebody who's a provider. Then the people in relationships that you want to be married to or have relationships, do they tell the truth? Are they people of integrity? What is integrity? That means whole. What's not integral is half. How many people do you know that give you half truths? They don't tell you the full story. That means they're not integral. They'll tell you their part of the story. That's why the book of Proverbs says, who who tells you first is usually the one who seems to be right. Why? Because they share their side of the story and not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Can I tell you, no relationship, marriage, a relationship with friends, family, member, a co-worker, a church family member, no relationship can be born and sustained in deception. Nothing can happen in deception that's ongoing and fruitful and prosperous. God created Adam. Now think about this. He knew exactly the type of woman that Adam needed. He knew the exact kind of mate Adam needed. He took a rib out of Adam's side, and literally that rib has a unique definition in the Hebrew language. That Hebrew language is so wonderful because it's like a wagon wheel. When you study the Hebrew language, it's like having this root word in the middle and all the spokes like a wagon wheel. But when you look at that word in the Hebrew, the original language is called Hebrew. The word rib means beam. So God pulled out Adam's rib and gave him a woman, the beam. A beam is a structure, foundational structure of any home that you build. So in other words, the wife is the main beam in a man's life. And if she was not there, the world and the life would collapse. Ladies, you need to help me preach this message. They're the beam. So think about that. That means when you go home, uh, wives just nudge your husband right in the rib and say, without me, you would collapse. Jennifer tells me that every day. Without me, you could do nothing. I'm like, oh, I know, I know. But God created Eve. She was a perfect partner for Adam. It's a perfect union. Now think about that. In the theater of your mind, Jennifer talked about it earlier. See God. He puts Adam to sleep. The first anesthesia in the Bible, the first recorded surgery in the Bible, God practiced it. God put Adam to sleep, and it's recorded there in the Bible. When he came awake, he saw this perfect tin Eve totally naked. And guess what he said? Thy will be done. I'm sure he said, something good's coming my way. But what I'm telling you is God was the first matchmaker. Adam didn't have to go out on the dating scene. He didn't have to go from bar to bar. God brought her to him. He brought her to him. Now think about that. We live in a concept where you don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. E-harmony if you love Jesus. You might get a serial killer who claims to love Jesus. 
or somebody who lives in the basement with their mother who never came out of that basement. You got to be very, very careful what you look at on the internet and who claims to be something. That's important to know. God brought her to him. So can I give you some great Bible advice? This is just good Bible advice. I think it's so important. Can I tell you, those of you that are single, those of you that kind of want God's best and when it comes to relationship, can I tell you, get out of the chase game. Ask God who is the original matchmaker. Ask God who controls everything. Wait on the Lord who brings you the desires of your heart. He'll bring you the best of things when you're not expecting it. God will bring it to you. He'll give it to you right on time. Can I get a good amen for that? It's so true. I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 22 years old. I was a single young man, and, I, and, and, and as you can see, I'm good looking. And I was 22 years old, and I was even bald back then, by the way. And I was 22, and I was a traveling minister, single, traveling all over America. And I would speak in churches across America, small churches, larger churches, different denominations. And when I was single, every pastor, every co-pastor, every congregant that I would go to because I was single, they would try to bring to me, you get where this story is going, God's will for my life. But I had decided that I was going to, at that season of my life, I wasn't going to look for any mate. I was going to honor Jesus and look for the Lord to, to give me the desires of my heart. And you know what happened? Jennifer hunted me down. And when she hunted me down, she got herself a man. But I wasn't looking for her, nor was she really looking for me. That's what she tells people anyway. But what I'm telling you is God ordained that together. God brings those things together. You say, well, Joey, that's unrealistic. No, it's not. In the scriptures, God tells us this wonderful story about Abraham. Abraham needed his son Isaac to get married. And Abraham knows the promises of God. He knows the covenant of God. He's the father of all who believe. And he wants his son Isaac to have not just someone, but the one, a perfect mate to marry Isaac, his son. So what does Abraham do? He calls upon the Lord. He asks his servant, his name is Eliezer, to find his son Isaac, the right woman. And this is recorded in the Bible. Uh, this guy takes this journey, a long journey. He sacrifices it. He goes and finds not just a woman, but the woman. And I want you to know, you don't need just a man. You need God's man. You don't need just a woman. You need God's woman. And Eliezer made a pact with God that sculptured the future. And here's what he says in the scripture. It's recorded in the Bible. He says, the woman I want for Isaac will not only give me water, but will draw water for all my 10 camels also. Now, what's so important about that? If you've ever seen a camel, number one, they're ugly and they have gross stuff that comes out of their mouth, but they, they hold a lot of water. One camel can hold 30 gallons of water just for one. He's loaded down with 10 camels on the journey. Why is that important? Because 10 camels at 30 gallons of water each is 300 gallons of water, and it's not like turning on a spigot. You have to draw the well, put the clay pot in the well, pull it back, 
back up and over and over again. What's he asking God? He's asking God for a specific answer to prayer. And what does God do? Eliezer rides up to the city. He goes to the city well, and out comes Rebecca. The Bible says she's beautiful. And he asks the question, and she answers that sculptures her life forever. Eliezer comes up to Rebecca and says, may I have some water? And Rebecca is getting ready to utter a phrase that will structure and change her life forever. She did not say, I don't know you, foo. What do I look like? You're made? Don't make me tase you. Stranger danger. She didn't do anything. You know what she said? She said, my Lord, I will draw water for you and your 10 camels until they are full. I don't mind being hospitable. I'm willing to go the second mile. See, that's so important today. But so many people, they stop at that first mile. But there's no traffic jams on the second mile. That's where the miracles come. That's where the anointing comes. She says, I'm willing to do something extra. I'm willing to have a commitment to excellence. Friends, there's no substitute for excellence. Enthusiasm is not a substitute. Faith is not a substitute. Excellence is either you got it or you don't. She says, I'm going to be committed to excellence, even though I don't know you. Her hospitality profile absolutely brings a payday. After she finished watering all those 10 camels, he brought out the dresses from Neiman Marcus. He gave her a black one. He gave her a red one. He gave her a white one. Then he brought out the gold. He slapped her with bracelets. He slapped her with chains and rings. She went into the house. Laban, the spokesperson of the family, saw all those dresses from Neiman Marcus, all that gold, and your Bible says that he literally, he didn't know what was happening outside, but he says, this is the will of God. Go with the man. What was the point? No long engagements. There was no, we're going to be engaged for 13 years. No, no, it's time to get on the camel and go to your divine destiny. I think that's important because I, I want you to understand that there's something to be said of that. That means, young lady, if you're dating a young man, ask him to show his camels to you. Not the ones he's smoking in his pocket, but his ability to provide. What's the ability to provide for me? You have to be able to provide. It's important. Genesis 24 records it. Laban didn't know what was going on in that house, but she went and she went with joy. And the Bible says something amazing. It says, when Isaac saw Rebecca, the scriptures tell us he loved her instantly. Here's why. Because marriage, first off, is not a relational thing that's drawn in physical or not drawn in emotional. Marriage, true marriage, is a spiritual thing. Real marriage is a spiritual thing. First off, it's got to be spiritual. Let's talk about that for a moment. Because why do relationships die? Not only relationships when it comes to marriage, but relationships when it comes to other people. And relationships when it comes to God. The vertical relationship with God and us. Why do those relationships die? Whether it's marriage, whether it's individual relationships, or relationships with God. Can I give you two reasons why they die? All three of them die because of two issues. Neglect and ignorance. Neglect and ignorance. Do you know anything of value in our life takes day-to-day -day maintenance? 
That means my teeth to my marriage. It requires day-to-day maintenance. It's like the guy who said, I told you I loved you back in 1972. What more do you need? You need to do more. It's day-to-day maintenance. Why do marriages fail? Because of neglect. Why do relationships with family and coworkers and friends and ex-church members that you used to have relationships with neglect? Why do relationships with God fail? I can tell you why. Ignorance. Ignorance. Not knowing who you are in Christ. Not knowing what God can do for you and how great He is. And that relationship falters and fails because of ignorance of not knowing God's Word. Ignorance of not planting yourself in the house of God so you can flourish day to day. Ignorance of not knowing that there are 3,000 promises in this book and every one of them are yes and amen. Ignorance not knowing that God provides for you and He makes a way where there seems to be no way. He's a healer. He's a protector. He's a provider. Ignorance to know that God is for me. He's not against me. And so often the scriptures tell us, and when it comes to marriage, that husband and wife should dwell together according to knowledge. But I think there's more than that. We should dwell together more in the knowledge with husbands and wives. But how about relationships with others? Understanding understanding their views and my views. I don't have to agree with you to endorse you, but I can still love you. I can love you, I can I cannot agree with you, but it doesn't mean I have to endorse you. In other words, I can love that person. I can be there for that person, but I don't have to agree with their crazy ways, and I don't have to agree with their crazy politics, and I don't have to agree with all that, but I can still love them and endorse them. But we do the opposite. If you don't agree with me, and if you don't endorse me, and if you don't say everything that I do is wonderful and everything that I do is great, then I have no relationship with you. And that shouldn't be so. That shouldn't be so. It should be like this. I can love you without agreeing with you. I can forgive you without bringing you back into my home to let you abuse me and hurt me anymore. But I can love you. I can forgive you. I think there's big differences in relationships. I think there's big differences in marriage. What happens in marriage, I think, is important, but there's so much difference in marriage when there's comes to a husband and wife. It's what we call, in when you study this out, right brain caring versus left brain logic. And so many relationships don't understand that principle. But this is a proven fact that there is a difference between male and female. I know on the bathrooms of America today, they say all genders allowed, but there is a difference between male and female. You don't get to choose what and what type of, 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 of person you're born. You either are born male or you're born female. But we're living in a society that says, hey, if you want to say you're a female today, say you're a female. I'm sorry, you're still a male. You may act like a female, that's your behavior, but that's not who you are. There's something to be said about that. There's so much difference in men and women, and it's proven out in science, it's proven out in God. It's that right brain caring versus left brain logic. There was a study done back in the day that won a Nobel Peace Prize. Dr. Roger Sperry discovered that during the 16th and the 26th weeks that the boy babies had a chemical reaction that was released in their brain that slowed down the right brain of that boy, the caring side. Dr. Sperry found out something amazing that won him a Nobel Peace Prize. Dr. Sperry found out what all women already knew, that all men are born with brain damage. It's true. 
This right brain, left brain, it affects every part of your life. It does. We want, we want to get to the goal, most men, but most women want to enjoy the process of the goal. I think it's about the balance of both. We're to enjoy the process. One thing Jennifer has taught me through 18 years of marriage is enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process. Don't just get so hung up because you're a visionary on getting to the end of it, building this thing, building that thing. Those are dreams of God. Those are fantastic things to do. But enjoy the process of fulfilling God's dream for your life. Enjoy the process of the stages of your life, the good, the bad, and the not so good. Enjoy that journey. But it affects everything we do. Because if we don't have understanding and knowledge together, we start getting upset, that right brain caring versus that left brain logic. How effective does that come to us? Now think about when tragedy comes, when situations come, right brain caring versus left brain logic. Some of you are a little bit older. You remember back in the 60s when JFK died. Immediately, the right brain carrying, what's going to happen with Jackie? What's going to happen with little John John? What's going to happen with the kids? The left brain logic man said, who's going to run the country? Where's the vice president? Where's our warships? What's going on? That both are needed, both are valued, both need to be appreciated. One is not right and one is not wrong. They dwell together in unity. But trying to solve relationships with a spouse or relationships with other people, especially when you tie spiritual things in it, will mess up the relationship. What do I mean by that? That means invoking my prejudice on you and calling it holiness messes up the relationship that God wants us to have. That's why churches in America are divided, one denomination after another, one church member after another, because people don't know how to dwell together in unity. Unity can be unified, but not agree about everything. That means I can love you, I can love you, I can love all of you, and most of you, I don't endorse you or your lifestyles because you cray-cray, but I still love you. And if I saw your stuff on social media, if I was that type of person that was on social media, I'd probably respond back to your crazy ways. I'm watching you. You're going to drink that? Mm. Oh, sports lover, huh? Okay. Bunch of drunks. Anyway, let's move on. This is so important to know because I would never invoke my prejudice on you and call it holiness. I can give you my views. I can give you the understanding of the scripture. But we need each other. Iron sharpens iron. The church is not effective without you attending it. You're not effective unless we are here to minister to you. I want you to understand that because we're different. You ask a man who's married that, uh, about his honeymoon, he'll tell you he went on one. But if you ask a woman about her honeymoon, she'll tell you every detail of that honeymoon. One's not right and one's not wrong. You all know, men, that sinking feeling when the woman asks you, do you remember when? And you can't even remember it happened. It's not that we don't care. It's just that we are different. How about the relationships, not only in marriage, because every marriage could be better. The scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 5 that we're submitting one unto another. Not only in marriage is that important, but it's important in our relationships with one another. 
We're submitting one to another in the love of the Lord. In marriages, it's submitting to one another. The wife submitting to the husband's lead, and the husband submits to the wife's needs. She has needs. You try to meet those needs, and she in return, because it's vice versa, is submitting to the lead of the husband. It's so important to do. How do marriages get broken up? Because they're not submitting one to another, especially if they're raised in any type of church or a denomination. They start literally saying, submit, submit, submit submit, submit, without any affirmation or any taking care of the needs. And it's so important as the worship team comes, I want you to realize something today. Every marriage can be better. And those of you that have went through a separation, you don't have to bring that separation into your new relationships because you can love again. You can believe again, and you can have a great relationship with a spouse again. You need to know that, that it's okay to love again. It's okay to get married again. It's okay to, to reach out again. And it's so uncomfortable, I know. It's so fearful sometimes, but it's okay to do that. It's so important to do that. We're submitting one unto another. How about those relationships that we have with other people? That means I love you without endorsing you. And there are some people, friends, that are gonna be with you for a season. There are some people that are gonna be with you for a reason one reason or another. And there'll be others that'll be with you for a lifetime. In other words, people will be, be with you for reasons, some people for seasons, and others for a lifetime. You gotta know that, and you must stay at rest. You gotta stay at peace. See, some of relationships are like scaffolding. Scaffolding is important to build that building. They come into your life and they help you build up your life. They help you and they strengthen you. But then there's a time when the building is completing and the scaffolding's got to come down. And when the scaffolding comes down, doesn't mean that you're not still built and need to go up. It just means that season is over. And you can't let not a season of mourning become a lifetime of mourning. You can't let a season of suffering become a lifetime of suffering. The Bible tells us that Job, most theologians tell us, it was only nine months of losing that thing, of that calamity. It wasn't a lifetime of it. You have to move on when you've been hurt, when you've been rejected, when you've been betrayed. You have to forgive and let it go. You have to let it go. One of the reasons so many Christians, they don't follow this pattern of love because they take that scripture that says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God, for Christ's sake, forgave you, you forgive one another. And they take that scripture and they use it as a place of saying, well, if I, I'm going to let them back in, they're going to hurt me again. You can forgive and let them go without letting them in. One of the ways that I forgive people and love people that have hurt me, betrayed me, wronged me, I don't let them back in the table of the Stillman home because they're, they're liars and they need to repent and be truthful. And I just don't let liars come back into the home and hurt me again. But I forgive them. I love them. I pray for them. I forgive without endorsing. I can forgive without accepting an ungodly behavior. What am I telling you? I say some of you need to know it's okay to do that. It's okay that you can forgive people and not hurt them. One of the greatest ways as a man of God that I forgive people, I don't share the dirt of those people. In other words, I don't share, you don't know what they've done. You don't, whoop, 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 whoop. I don't share that. So in other words, it's like the book of Proverbs says, the person that comes to you first tells the truth. What's he saying? He's saying it seems like it's the truth, the one that comes and tells you their old sad story. That's because the other person ain't shared their story. 
And so you have to realize that and be at rest. And some people, they're not going to be back in reconciliation with you because truth has to come in for reconciliation. There's not a marriage. There's not a relationship at home, at work, or in church that can be reconciled unless there's truth. In other words, there has to be mutual truth. They have to tell the truth. You have to be truthful. But you can forgive and let it go. Is anybody being ministered by that word today? That's a fantastic thought. Most pastors won't tell you that. Most pastors will water this down and just say, oh, forgive, let it go, move on, let them back in. Yeah, let them back in to abuse you some more. Let them back in to hurt your children more. Let them back in to destroy your destiny. I don't think so, Jack. I can love you. I can forgive you. But I'm not letting you back in to steal my peace. I'm not letting you back in to lie about me or my family. I'm not letting you back in until there's truth and there's reconciliation. That goes with marriage. It goes with relationships in church. It goes with relationships at work. Some of you have never been told that, but you need to know that. We've been reconciled through grace of God. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's a one-sided fight. But in your relationships that are not vertical but horizontal, it has to be two-sided. In your vertical relationship, it's only one-sided. God has made a way where there seems to be no way. And that's what's so wonderful about the message, that God has redeemed you, that God has loved you, and He has restored you. While you are at your worst, the book of Romans said, He died for you. And see, when you realize that, you're going to stop trying to pursue a works mentality, not intentionally, but work this, pray more, give more, love more, do more. And what happens is that's not birthed out of relationship. It starts birthing out of religion. And some people need that glue of religion. I understand that. But it took me 10 years in the pastoral ministry to understand that some people need the glue of religion at first because they don't know how to have relationships. And so I watched that happen over and over, especially in Stockton with such a diverse ethnicity of people. They need the glue of relation. They need the glue of religion. And it would always bother me to say, man, why do these people fall victim to that? I would say to myself, why do they fall victim to that stuff? Why do these people do that? Why do they go there? What's wrong with these people? And I, and the Lord had to show me because they don't have a full relationship birth yet. I'm going to hold them with the glue so I can develop in them what it means to stay the course. And see, some of you don't realize God wants to take you on another level of your glory. You know, in the Old Testament, there's over 619 plus laws. And out of those 619, there's 10. We call them the Ten Commandments. But I want you to know, you can't keep those commandments, all 600 plus of them. Most of us can't keep God's top 10. You can't even recite the top 10. Tell me the top 10. You'll get like three. Thou shall not. That's all you got. We are not designed to carry those laws. Those were given, if you do this, I'll do that. Listen to me. We're going to close. But you've got to get this into this message. If you do this, I'll do that. If you hearken to the voice of the Lord, then I'll pour out these blessings on you. Deuteronomy 28. But now Jesus had to come. The vertical call while we were at our worst. You see, the, 
The scriptures tell us Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill that law. I love that because this is not a replacement thought. We are together, Jews and Gentiles, as one. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, I wish they were one. Not just the church of believers, of a Presbyterian, Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal, Baptist or Methodist, but not just that, but the believers of the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Jews, that God said, you're never to break covenant. You're never, you're to keep that law. Jesus had to come to show you can't fulfill that law. You can't even keep the top 10. It's a reflection that now because of the vertical call, we've been redeemed, not because if I've done this, I'll get that. That's no longer ours. All we have to do now is receive the blessings of the Lord. Deuteronomy 28, I'll do these things for you. Not if I've already done them. I've already healed. I've already prospered. I've already bring peace. I've already restored. All you and I have to do now as believers is receive that vertical call and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe.